This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CDUSA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. In my early years as a video editor, more like a logger, I remember one of our photographers had just returned from a hunting expedition in Russia. Upon review of his footage, it was all red. There was good reason though. During the filming, Russia had just invaded Georgia. When I think of photography and filmmakers, my mind always drifts to this memory because the people behind the lens are the true storytellers, experiencing life and sharing adventures for us all to get a taste of the world around us. I'm excited to hear the stories and adventures of my next guest, filmmaker and photographer, Natalie Ray. Thank you so much for joining me today. Howdy. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, and I always feel like the people behind the lens are the ones that really experience life in such a different way because you're telling stories. I mean, it's it's such a different viewpoint that you get to experience than 
than anyone else. And I'm excited to hear your stories, but let, let's start off. What's one of your favorite, um, do you have a fishing story lined up for us, Natalie? Oh gosh, I do. Um, Oh, it's almost semi-embarrassing. Um, it's more of the, the misadventures um, that y'all mentioned. Um, so I was working with, or I, I am working with All Hands Craft Cocktails, um, and they entered me into a fly fishing tournament on the coast of Cape Cod. And I've only been fly fishing for a couple of years now and had never gone saltwater fly fishing. And during this time, I was incredibly busy And this was in, uh, I think the competition was in May. And so I find this out in March. And meanwhile, I'm also being asked to like go on my first turkey hunt for modern huntsmen and navigating all of that in the inner workings. And I was running out of time to learn how to, how to saltwater fly fish. And one of our ambassadors, Josh Crumpton was going to the coast to fish with one of our other ambassadors, Owen Gaylor. And I asked him if I could hop on and just learn how to saltwater cast because I know it's a completely different beast. Like the way that I describe it would be trout fishing is like a ballet, whereas saltwater fishing is more like the slot machines in Vegas. Like it's just a completely different <laughs> ball game, <laughs> way more good, intense. Good imagery. Right? And so I, and I'm incredibly competitive and I did not want to go to a competition and be bad at it. So I went down to the coast and um, five minutes within getting on the boat, I was like, I started my period and I'm not feeling like, I don't know about you, but when I'm on my cycle, I can get really irritable and like short and learning a new (laughs) skill while you're in that kind of mindset is not a great combination. So we're five minutes into the boat ride and I'm like, oh, please, dear Jesus. And thankfully, I had kind of predicted it, so I prepared, but you know, being in that mindset of trying to learn their skill, I was not having it. And Owen's, I love Owen to death. We had a great call the other day, but he had more of like the the dad militant type approach with me for learning how to cast. And the whole time I was like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and thankfully, like I did come out of it being a better caster and I had learned to saltwater fish. He was great. And um, afterwards, you know, we were buds. But um, so then I went up to the coast in Cape Cod a month later and we were <clears throat> my jo- Josh and I were actually um, partners because it's teams of two. And still new to fishing in general just the last couple of years. I hadn't learned about different fly lines and everything. That's something I'm just getting into. And so someone hands me a rod and they had not changed out the line. It was a floating line for like tarpon, saltwater tarpon. <laughs> and instead of um, having a sinking line, I was fishing for a straight 10 hours with a floating line until like literally the last and not like not even an eat. I don't think I had an eat all day. And the last 45 minutes of the competition, I kid you not, someone was like, Natalie, you've got a floating line on there. You should maybe let that sink for, you know, 12 seconds and then start stripping. And I don't know if you've done any saltwater fishing. We were fishing for striped bass and it's like you cast and then you strip really fast into this little basket And so it was just that for straight 10 hours and I was burnt out. And as soon as he told me that I started getting an eat like every time I cast, I was so (laughs) mad that no one had told me that earlier. I was like, y'all, I could have been catching fish all day. (laughs) So, so now I know I'm going to be going in, um, 
this next competition, I'm definitely going next May because I have to redeem myself. I did, did not feel like I did a good job at all. It was still incredibly fun. And the people that we were with were really great um, in sports about it. But um, Josh did great, but I feel like I have room to improve. So I'm very excited to go back again next year. Well, and then also like when you start catching fish, you're like, do we have to stop? Like, cause you know, right. like, you're like, can we just keep this going? Cause now I think I've got it cut. Like I've got it figured out. I, exactly. I have a hard time like when when the bite is happening to just like stop everything and leave. And I could like when when I think there's opportunity to keep catching fish, it's really hard for me to push that button and be like, okay, I guess we're gonna stop. Like I Oh, one hundred percent. And that <laughs> happened recently too. When I was in um I was in Montana and my friend Sam Lundgren and I were fishing together and we were in we were had this event called Trout Camp and with, with with a bunch of different ambassadors that came together to fish for a week on the bighorn and he and i found a really great fishing hole and we were so stoked on it but the sun was setting and we were told that we were supposed to be back for dinner at a certain time and so we were like i i guess we're going to call it and so when we get back no one else is back yet and no. the guy that was organizing the dinner and everything wasn't even back until after dark. And we're like, we could have been fishing for like another four hours. I know. And like throughout the entire time, you're like, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, like there's probably in your mind, you keep telling yourself like there was probably no more fish and that you hit it at the right time. <laughs> but part yeah. of you still like so disgruntled, but you're just trying to tell your brain like, oh, we probably got it at the right time. Like we're, we're good. We're so, aren't you so happy we're here? We're not hiking in the dark. Right. You, know, you exactly. just make up these excuses to why it's yeah. a good reason why you're not. But yeah, <laughs> yeah the last time better, yeah. Jess and I did that, I was like, Justin, we have like one, we can just fish this one hole. And he was like, we have to pick up the kids. And I was like, no, we're totally fine. And sure enough, like driving back, we were five minutes late. He's like, I told you we didn't have enough time to fish that hole. I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, every time. <laughs> but Natalie, I want to hear about um, about what you do. Can you give our listeners a little bit of information about your day-to-day <laughs> job, which is beautiful? Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny, actually, because I have my hands in a lot of different things. And the most common question that I get from people is, what do you do exactly? Because I'm here and I'm there. And one second I'm in Montana, and then I'm in Scotland, and then I'm in Colorado. And I'm with a band or I'm, you know, on the water, or I'm hunting, and people are very confused so cool. by what I do, which I kind of love that people can't figure out where I'm at. <laughs> um, but I, I am a, I'm a filmmaker and photographer um, by trade. I'm also a writer. And I, um, I mean, these days, you know, I, ha- I have a country music background, so I was producing and directing and writing music videos and working with a lot of artists for, you know, a decade. I still do occasionally. Um, but now I primarily work in the outdoor rec uh, and western spaces. So I do a lot of hunting, fishing, cowboy type content. Um, I'm not a content creator, but I do a lot of um, documentary filmmaking and commercials. I'm also a comedy writer. Um, so I write, you know, comedy commercials. And I don't know if people follow Top Sportsman, but that's a comedy series that I direct and co write. Um, with, with some good friends of mine where we have a it's a parody on the 90s fishing shows with Captain Dick Fisher and <laughs> and uh, we just we kind of poke fun at those very serious goofy dry stories from the 90s and uh, we film it <laughs> on a like old DV cam so it's proper tape it looks it looks like shit because it's supposed to um, but those are really fun to make too but yeah so I mean on the day-to-day I'm I'm gone like probably 80% of the time these days traveling for different shoots and different clients for all hands for modern huntsmen for Swarovski optics. Um, I just actually wrapped 
two days ago, I wrapped a film out in Big Bend. We were um, with a wildlife cinematographer uh, following him as in his pursuit of a, a certain wildlife that I can't mention yet um, for Swarovski Optics and Modern Huntsman, which is an incredible opportunity and story to tell. So stuff like that all the time. It's great. I, I love everything that I'm doing right now. I mean, I've said this before on this podcast, some of the toughest, you know, when you follow someone um, hunting or just being in the outdoors, you know, who's like the, who's the best athletes? It's the people behind the lens. 100%. You, I mean, I was filming something and I was, look, I looked back at the footage and I was like, oh my gosh, Lauren, breathe. I was like, (sighs) I'm like talking to somebody. I'm like, like trying to catch my breath. And so um, Mm -hmm. the amount that your body has to, you always have to control your breath. You have to control your, you can't be shaky. You have to be um, quiet and, um, and always you're like a bat, right? Your ears are always um, open and you have to get the shot. Cause I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, as a video editor, I've re I've had footage being returned and they miss the kill shot or mm-hmm. they missed. And we just have to do this like crazy montage of just, you know, just of an edit of just like zoom in, zoom out. And people are like, Oh, I missed it. And we're like, yeah, you did because it yeah. wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah. We, we were just tricking you to was. think you did. Yeah. No, truly. I, I was actually on a flight. Where was I going? I don't even know. I was on a flight recently and I had the sweetest couple, uh, older couple next to me and they were asking me about what I do. And I can't remember what they said, but it was along the lines of um, – they had said something that made it sound like photographers and filmmakers didn't have that hard of a job. And I was I was, <laughs> I was, was speaking in reference to like this outdoor rec type stuff. And I corrected them. I was like, no, actually, like filmmakers and photographers that work in my space have to be athletes. We are athletes because we have yes. to keep up with them. Um, in their pursuit while hauling very heavy gear and not missing a shot. And it's also just a very weird experience to follow someone in their pursuit of something that they're doing and trying to make it as organic as possible and not stop them for stage shots, even though you do have to do that sometimes. But that's a different, another level of, you know, oh, I want this really gorgeous ridgeline shot, which means I now have to haul all of my gear to the mountain over next to them and then once we get that shot, then I need to tear down my gear and bring it up the mountain that they're on. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, well, yeah. And also weather. You have to be like, okay, mm-hmm. what is, can my, what's going to happen to my camera if it's snowing, if it's raining? Batteries die a lot faster. Like, yeah. your brain is constantly you're, – you're not in the necessarily in the moment because you're always having to expect what what's going to happen next. Like, you also have to be like a psychic. Like, okay, if he shoots this, if he shoots this animal, if this deer comes over here, I need to be situated here, but I can't screw up their hunt. And Mm -hmm. so it's um, just a matter of being respectful of the hunter, but also trying to capture a moment, which I know it, it, that is really, really difficult. It, it definitely is. But I also, I was talking to, um, Byron Pace the other day, he's another outdoor filmmaker. And we were just talking about how privileged we feel to do what we do simply because there's pursuits and films and photography and opportunities that we've had, stories that we get to tell that we wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity if we had a different career. So like going on a, this, this week, someone invited me to go on um, a reindeer hunt in Iceland. And if I 
didn't have the means, I would never have the opportunity to go do something like that on my own unless I was invited to go with someone that was already going because I have to tell their story and photograph it or, or film it. And so we get to be part of these really cool things and witness them, which is equally as gratifying as if we were doing it ourselves. So we don't necessarily have to be the ones hunting and fishing or climbing or doing whatever pursuit that we are following. But being a part of that story is equally gratifying. And it's, you know, it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that, really. Without a doubt. I have to say when I'm, I've, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just, I do video editing. That's really my main career and what I went to school. And one of the best things about this, what I get to see is what you guys get to film and I'll sure. And I get to think like, oh, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. Um, especially I worked on a show called Montana Game Wardens and um, it was, you know, filming these wardens in their day-to-day lives. And I was actually able to tell Jess, I'm like, I think you should go elk hunting over here. Cause you know, they would never disclose exactly where they sure. saw some elk, but as someone who was behind the line, you know, who was able to get this information, it also fueled me to um, look at these locations and also places to go fishing. Um, Justin was the producer of fly fishing the world and literally traveled around the world, uh, filming these, uh, fish, you know, these species that you never get to see if you live in the States. And so I think it's an opportunity for you to experience life, but also like to have people like me get to experience that. And you do such a beautiful job, Natalie, in portraying what that, you can almost feel what it looks like. You can obviously see what it looks like, but you can smell it. And you do such a good job with sound too. Like you capture sound really well. There was that cowboy yeah, one that I was watching. I love that, like the rope hitting his hand. You captured that, like you really captured the essence of a moment. Thank you so much. I, you know, thankfully have a very talented team of um, cinematographers and and editors that I, I work with. A very talented editor, David, and he he's a bit of a fully artist himself. I don't think he creates his own sounds, but he's an incredible. He does an incredible job at pairing sounds with film, which I think is a little bit of an lost art when it comes to the short form documentary storytelling. You see it a lot in, you know, long form documentaries, but especially in short form, I think people forget that. I think part of that's because in not to go too down the rabbit hole, but filmmaking is um started to use a lot of the slow-mo stuff in the last decade yes. and that has I think lended itself to a lack of really beautiful sound, which, you know, is what really draws you in. Because the film, if the vi- if the visuals aren't there, all you have is sound sim- similar to this podcast. And um, you're leaning on your own imagination as to what that sounds and feels like. And so a film should be able to live on its own without visuals. And so sound is incredibly important. And I've Definitely tried to emphasize that in my last projects the last few years. So I'm glad that you recognize that. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. What is like one of your most favorite projects? Like that, if you have like on your calendar, like I'm so excited to do this shoot. Like, what are what is like one of your favorite things too? What's your specialty that you love to go adventure out to? I really love. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Gosh, that's such a hard question because I'm I'm so curious about so many things. And I mean, similar to what I was just saying about our conversation with, you know, being grateful for those opportunities. There's things that I like to learn about that I get to have this direct relationship with groundskeepers and with biologists, et cetera, and learn from them on a lot of these shoots in a way where they're so passionate about what they do that reading it from a book or a blog online just doesn't do it justice. And it's coming directly from the source of those people that are in that environment or impacted by it. And those are really my favorite shoots when I get to go learn from these people. Like when I was in Scotland in September, um, this this inspired a shoot that I want to do hopefully next year. Um, But I had the opportunity to go for Red Stag out in the Scottish Highlands. And the groundskeeper there is absolutely incredible. His name's Sam Thompson. And we went out, I think we went for stag four times. And thankfully, like I had a shot at one on the second day and my safety was on. And so if I hadn't have done that, I would have gotten it. But it's fine. I'm, I'm really grateful that all, in a way that it didn't happen because that time on the hill with him, that extra time that I got, because if I had have shot one the first or second day, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to really learn the landscape and learn from him about um, wildlife management and land management and the effects of what they're doing to conserve that property. And so I really absorb a lot of that um, from people like him and from people on the shoots that I'm doing. So really the ones, the shoots that I really love to do is where I get to learn new things. Um, and then, you know, I get to decide if I want to continue down that path and and pursue those on my own. Um, but yeah. I also love, like when I go visit people in their like hometown and seeing them being a, such a professional in their own elements always sure. amazes me. I'm like, wow, you can do this like with your eyes closed. And I'm so lost right now. I have no clue where I am or like what I'm doing. And so seeing people in their elements um, and doing it so well, I mean, Mm -hmm. I keep going back to that cowboy thing. I could watch that over and over again because I'm like, (laughs) gosh, look at, he just knows what he's doing. I, I would have no clue. I'd be like, pet the horse on the nose. I'd be like, gosh, I know. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm grateful to work with some brands that I don't, I don't really like the word authentic, but lean into authentic storytelling in the sense where we're not staging this. We're working with real cowboys. We're working with, you know, real, whatever career it is. And so Chris Iyer is the one in that uh, Tacovis Modern Huntsman film that you're referencing. And, um, He's great. That was actually supposed to be a proper short film, like maybe 10 minutes long, but due to um, budgets and schedules, et cetera, we ended up cutting it down into that shorter poetic piece. But I am hoping to spend more time with him. He's a, such a great human and very good at what he does, um, pack muling. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that that was, I mean, just everything about that was so, I mean, go, I, I, actually, we should say go to Natalie's. This is on your website as well, which is Natalie Ray. NatalieRay.com, R-H-E-A. Yeah. Um, Natalie, I'm always learning new things. I was like, what's the difference between like a filmmaker, a videographer? And you gave such a beautiful response. So maybe for people who don't, who really don't know terminology, like what is a filmmaker? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, So gosh, I guess people in the outdoor industry tend to call themselves filmmakers because 
it is so involved as far as a lot of times we're working with smaller brands um, or we're keep we're environmentalists and we're conservationists and we're trying to keep in mind um, having a smaller impact on the planet and leave no trace. And so part of that is having smaller crews. And so because of that, we are the writers, we're the producers, we're the directors, sometimes we're the editors and do everything in post as well. And we are the ones writing contracts and writing shot lists and doing literally everything. And so we'll call ourselves filmmakers because it's like this 10 to 15 person team in one body. Um, I, maybe this is just my own personal thing. I'm not sure, but I, I get, I tend to get offended when people call me a videographer just because I've you know, a videographer, I consider someone that's a little bit more run and gun and they still have to be, you know, quite scrappy um, and be that person that wears 10, 10 hats. That's not to take away from that. They do a lot on their own too. Yeah. Um, but I tend to think them as earlier on in their career. Um, and I've, you know, built a career for myself, you know, over a decade. Gosh, I've been doing photography since 2006 and started video in in like around 2009. Um, so I've gotten to a point where I also am comfortable and confident in what I want to do. I don't like producing, but I find myself doing it sometimes, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm a, I'm a director and I'm a writer. Um, and that's really my, my pursuit. And so sometimes I still call myself a filmmaker cause I like this film last week, I was doing everything. Um, I did have a, a small <laughs> crew, but I was producing and directing. So it's easier to just say filmmaker, but, um, yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> It's it's different for everyone. That's just my personal preference. Absolutely. I do want to go back to Natalie because I'm so curious about your com comedy thing. Because I, first off, I think I'm funny, but I know I'm not. <laughs> like, I know I'm probably like, <laughs> I think I'm funny, but I know if I was to go onto a comedy stage, I would, it would be completely <laughs> silent. I, sure. I know my jokes are like, they're, they're just dad jokes, but uh, I find them <laughs> quite hilarious. Um how do you how do you build your like the comedy thing? I really am curious. So I I actually learned this term recently, but uh, observational humor is what I do. Um, so Taika Waititi is my favorite director. He does some of that, you know, just awkward human be behavior, awkward things that we do in daily life emphasizing that. And I think we as humans are very awkward and I find nature incredibly humorous. And so it's so easy to combine the two of those things are, you know, I've, I've done a ton of commercials that have nothing to do with the outdoors. They're comedy and I've done a lot of outdoor comedy stuff. Um, but I just find observational humor, like the funniest type of humor because everyone can relate to it. Um, even, even things as, as simple as, um, <laughs> the the BBC talking animals thing. I'm like, everyone's <laughs> making voices to animals. Like everybody does that. They just happen to do a really good job at like making it really popular first. Um, yes. So stuff like that I find fascinating. I actually did. Um, I, I, I don't like telling people this just because I, I do want to tighten it up a little bit. And, um, but it was very funny when I was, um, living out of my car a few years ago, I was thinking about um, climate change and how to get people to care about climate change. And I I just, in my head, started writing this comedy short. Um, it's called The Intervention. And I had, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of improv actors in Austin. And so they all came together to make this happen for me and my, my DP and a few other people. And um, I wrote this, <laughs> this climate change 
comedy. It's called The Intervention, and every character in it is a different element. So there's like earth, wind, fire, um, <clears throat> river, um, and glacier. It sounds like Captain Planet. Yeah, yeah, similar, <laughs> yes. And so it's an intervention against fire because he's been too wild, and him and wind have had a friends with benefits relationship. Like she's been blowing him <laughs> too much and not helping the situation. And meanwhile, I don't I don't want to ruin the end, but it's just an intervention against him. And so they're just bantering the whole time. And so that is probably one of my favorite projects that I've done. And I my goal by the end of this year is to tighten that up so I can um, so I can re enter it into the world, if you will. Oh my um, gosh, I need this in my life. <laughs> I love things like this. I do. They're like my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe I'll enter it into the festivals. We'll see. But my hope when I have some, some time to think about it, maybe I can do like a series out of it. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, those are, that's a, that's a great idea. I, um, I still remember this was like, oh, I don't know. I think his name was Jimmy Big Time. Did you you ever watch? It's old. I mean, I want to say it's like from 2008 and I think it was, I think it was called Jimmy Big Time. And what he, he would, um, it, it, it's an old one, but he would be, he's pretending he's a big time uh, celebrity hunter and it's about him and his friend who films him, but they're the two ones always on camera. He's like, did you do the recreate shot? And just like the, you would love it. Cause it's oh like my the humor of, um, how, how silly sometimes, um, Jimmy big time is. And I don't even know if they Jimmy create it, big but time. It, Jimmy big time. It's a, he's like from the Midwest. And so it was, um, it's just really funny because it just made a stab at outdoor, you know, hunting and TV I wonder shows. if someone was trying to tell me something similar to this the other day that I had never heard of. I wonder if this was it. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. And I also love, um, what's another, if you're also like into comedy, Man on a Buffalo. Have you ever seen those small no, snippets? Uh, wait, I think so. <laughs> wait, is this the one where they take old film but cut it up into weird, maybe it's yes. not. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, okay. exactly. It literally was I think there was a show called Man on a Buffalo and then they just like cut it up into like really funny like I'm a man on a buffalo and then he's like, "Oh, look here." And yes, I saw that was- for the first time very recently. <laughs> that is also you can get yourself into a big rabbit hole. Watch Jimmy Big Time and Man on a Buffalo and I bet your juices like of comedy. And if you also need some help on comedy cuz I'm so good at it, obviously. <laughs> I will give you as – I'll be the first one to watch this and give you my expertise. Yes. On, um, <laughs> I would love that. Um, more, that's the other thing. You have so many people reviewing your stuff. I'm probably – you're like, I don't need anyone to give me more I'll t- Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you what. Top like <laughs> top sportsman that comedy series we're doing with Dick Fisher has – you know, it was incredibly risky for a small brand to want to do something like this. And it is – by far the like probably our most popular thing that we do at all hands and um, I love it. It is everyone loves it. I mean, it, it, it's wild how well received it is because it's just three of us making <laughs> weird shit and right like Oliver Sutro is my cinematographer and I'm the director and editor and then I have my um, my photographer slash PA slash sometimes you know. Um, Boat driver Dylan Schmitz, um, he's incredibly versatile and talented as well. Um, and then our talent, uh, Bennett, who's Captain Dick Fisher. We just get, get together ahead of time. I, I choose the topics. We kind of go over um, 
you know, some, some bits that we could do. And then when we go into filming, it's just, it's always a three day shoot. We knock out two episodes and we spend the first day fully flushing out what the bits are and writing it. And then we film for two days and that's it. And it's, you know, it's a very beautiful magic formula that we have doing that. And we shoot it on that old DV cam. And then I just, you know, edit it later. And um, we're, I think we're almost maybe eight to 10 episodes that we filmed so far and maybe four or five have come out. And then we're about to film three episodes in a couple weeks. Um, but it's, it's quite an I'm I'm pretty impressed with how uh, much people love it because it's so dumb. It is so dumb. Which you're also like, man, that that probably like the way that it seems like it has like it, like the wheels are turning. Like it, it just has a rhythm. Like it just it basically yeah. is making itself. As opposed to like when you go to Scotland and you like spend all this time and you're like, how will everyone receive this? And you're like, hope and hope and hope. And then you're like, the other one that like doesn't you know that's just like super like hey this is funny this is great we'll do three in two days and then you're like I'm in Scotland for 25 days and (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah. oh man that is so crazy so what's what's for your future Natalie what do you have going what's what's coming up for you gosh my schedule I think at least right now it's booked out all the way through the end of November. And then I have a bunch of stuff already coming up next September. I'm already planning my next Scotland trip and, um, a lot of stuff with Swarovski next year. Um, but really the last, the next couple of months, I'm, um, going on a lot of hunting and fishing expeditions, um, with people that I need to shoot, but, um, hopefully I'm making it out of the country a lot more next year for, um, for various shoots and just to, just to experience more, fishing and pursuing more species, um, both, both for hunting and fishing really. Um, but I mean, these days people ask me like, where were you shooting last week? And I have gotten to a point where I'm gone so much that I can't even think about where I was yesterday, which is not <laughs> like, I actually am not stoked on that aspect. Like I, I need to be able to slow down enough to remember what I'm doing. Um, and what's coming up. And so maybe I just need to be better at journaling because I tend, what I tend to do is go back, you know, a month later, I'll try to retroactively write about an experience just because I've been so slammed. But um, maybe if I did a better job at journaling, I'd, re- I'd remember where I was the last few days. But your journaling is kind of like your filmmaking, right? And then you get to like revisit like visually, which is kind of Sure. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair to Instagram, I guess, was a bit of a journal for a while because, you know, writing some storytelling or some stream of consciousness in real time. But, you know, Instagram's a shit show now, so I don't really do that as much anymore. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I just recently talked to somebody about social media and like, what does that mean? And I sure as I'm sure as a filmmaker, it's kind of hard to navigate because I think it's great that everyone can express and be artist on the platform. I really do. I think it's such a, it's such a cool way, but I think it's also, um, I don't know. It's it's just been interesting. Like content is just 24 seven. And I think that, I don't know, I think there can be like a, a balance. Yeah. It's, it's also really hard because I mean, proper storytelling is meant to be thoughtful and have time. It's not meant to be, how can we capture this in someone's attention in 10 seconds, you know, and, and filmmaking is not meant to be vertical. And I would, you know, yes, I'm sure there's an argument for graduating with the times, but no, like filmmaker, film, filmmaking is inherently meant to be horizontal. 
um, to, to show off a landscape or for movement, to allow movement. If you shot something in vertical or shot a whole film in vertical, there's so much going on that you're missing around the edges or someone walks out of frame. Like people don't realize that, especially people like brands that ask you to re-edit something that you've already shot into a vertical medium. It's like, it doesn't, it's not as easy as that looks because you're Without working a with a whole different landscape. I'm sure you've definitely encountered that. Oh um, yeah. But it took me a long time. Like I would be filming all the time, like with my phone, like the very beginning, because I didn't wasn't very social media savvy. And someone's like, "You had to do it vertical." And I was like, "I don't understand, but you can't see." But they're like, "But, you, but they, it's not close enough." And I'm like, "Close enough." You know, it's like really like kind of comedic to me about it is. Yeah, people are always on their phones, but people can turn their phones 90 degrees and it be horizontal. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. I know. I know. I totally agree. I like to, I, I think also I love establishing uh, like places, you know, so like your first shot yeah. is always a big shot of like the location. And um, I mean, I guess now that doesn't seem like that really exists but that's filmmaking still needs to exist it needs to tell a story it needs to take people there like especially for for fishing i mean um i think when good films come together it it in it can also spark uh, wanting to conserve and be advocates and stewards mm -hmm. to the things we love and so you have such a huge voice to create beauty and bring that to people who like why should I care about Florida you know like let's yeah. tell this story and this is why it's so important like this these are the beaches I I just think it's so important to have professional storytellers and not get lost in instant gratification 100% agree I just yeah. you know, don't know what that looks like for the future but at least that's the path that I'm still pursuing well obviously though it's still very important you're booked you're still super busy so obviously there's still a need for that I know there is yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, yeah. I got back last night from Nashville from a shoot with Flatland Cavalry. I leave next week to go to Oregon to shoot Top Sportsman. And Amazing. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so slammed. It's crazy. Well, I mean, now, how can people follow? I mean, I know you're you're on Instagram. Are you not posting as much? But how can people, like keep up with like all the amazing things that you're doing especially the comedy stuff like you're never it's it's beautiful that you're just not you're never stopping to create more interesting stories yeah and I've, I've i've been so caught up in the creation aspect that i haven't been keeping up with my own stuff so that people can see it uh but people can follow me on instagram it's natalie underscore ray r-h-e-a um, or my website is natalie at natalieray.com um, I also just got on Vero, which I guess is the new social app geared towards filmmakers and photographers. I've never heard of this yet. I know. It's, I think it's supposed to be, you know, if, if you are a filmmaker or photographer, I think it's what you would hope Instagram would have them. Um, oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's V-E-R-O. So I'm on that now. I haven't really posted that much, but I'm probably posting there a lot more now. Um, it's ad-free, I believe. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'm, most, I'm mostly on there. And then, you know, if people want to create something, it's... Uh, uh, natalie at natalieray.com is my email and then just natalieray is my website go to the februaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns we're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns and if you have one to spin shoot us an email at info at the february room.com the february room is always free 
but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.